And I'm Molly, and today we are talking about Theranos updates, because the Elizabeth Holmes trial has started, and oh boy, is it bonkers already. <laughs> it's amazing. Everything that you ever wanted. <laughs> oh my god, it is actually everything I've ever wanted, because it's like, uh, no one died, so this gets to be pretty right. fucking funny. <laughs> like, this is pretty hilarious Yeah, like a lot of people me. could have died, but because nobody did yes. from this technology, then it makes it like easier yes. to just laugh at exactly and obviously this is still bad but oh i can't wait to tell you everything that's so funny um so what we're gonna do is first tell you where you can find us on instagram at readers pod readers underscore pod exactly (laughs) yay nailed it and at twitter same handle readers underscore pod we also have a website, readersdigress.com. Yep. Wait, no. It's the rdrsdigress.com. No. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Uh, why did I do this? No, this was my doing. Don't you dare apologize. I am the evil mastermind behind this. I don't know. Maybe we should just change plan. our domain name at some point. You know what? That's for a later we'll do day. it in a year. Moving on. Maybe we'll be dead then. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so the now what we're going to do, I think, is give you a little summary of what's kind of happened since the end of the book that we went over. The book we talked about Theranos in is called Bad Blood by a um, writer at the Wall Street Journal call, called, named John Carreyrou. <laughs> He's called John Carreyrou, but that's not Only people in the know name. call him John Carreyrou. <laughs> Other people call him Bill. That'll become uh, relevant later. <laughs> but before we dive into a couple of articles that we have pulled as updates to this lovely, juicy story. Uh, I do want to give you a brief update about the Theranos story so that you are refreshed. So Theranos was founded in 2003 by Elizabeth Holmes when she was 19 years old. And uh, in 2015, uh, there were a lot of um, questions about the company uh, at that point, John Carreyrou, who is a journalist for the Wall Street Journal and wrote the Bad Blood book that we discussed, uh, came out with a series of articles that were investigative and talked about the company's uh, issues <laughs> in multiple different ways. And by June of 2016, it was estimated that Holmes' personal net worth had dropped to basically nothing. So after several years of a lot of struggles, uh, scandals, a bunch of lawsuits. Uh, The company basically dissolved in 2018. Uh, So in March of 2018, Elizabeth Holmes and her partner, both romantically and in business, Ramesh, or otherwise known as Sunny Balwani, were charged with fraud by the SEC. So that is where we're at. They were both charged separately with 12 counts of fraud, I think. Yeah. So since 
that charge was brought against them in 2018. Uh, they've been prepping for trial. They were originally charged as co-defendants, and now they have had their cases split. So the trials will be separate. That was done because, uh, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but Elizabeth's lawyers have argued that Sonny was abusive. We don't know the details of those allegations yet, but that was the reason they had the um, trial split into two different trials instead of having them go together because her Elizabeth's lawyers argued that it would be too upsetting for her to even be in a room with him. So they're laying the groundwork for the, her defense in that, which I just cannot wait to talk about because holy shit. Um, but so now the trial jury selection happened at the end of August. Trial started in September. We're a few weeks into it. The trial is set for like 12 weeks, which is very long. Most trials are not set for that long. Mm -hmm. They have already gone through a few of their alternate jurors. So it, there's already some there's already some like precariousness like i feel so anxious that there's going to be a mistrial like jesus christ what if that happens as to be expected though with the instability of this entire story but yeah uh, to be clear the trial of elizabeth holmes is going on right now and i think sunny's yes. isn't scheduled until maybe march 2021 yeah. so um because they're being uh, tried separately, his has not started yet. So some of the things that her lawyers are saying, it's very interesting because, you know, his, it's not as if the trials are happening in a parallel right. where you would actually see them things in real time. It's that they're, because they're happening separately, it's very interesting because it's right now, clearly all from Elizabeth's point of view because her her lawyers are the ones representing mm -hmm. in, in the news right now so yeah um and yeah there's just like a lot of things that could happen between now and when sunny's trial is set to start um I, I was trying to figure out so like there has to be a jury of i don't know how many people it is for this one each state is different but they have to have a certain number of people and if someone has to be excused because they get ill, like if they have COVID or something happens, they have alternate people that they can bring on. And I was trying to figure out yesterday, what happens if they run out of alternates? Does a mistrial get called? And so I Googled what happens if you run out of alternate jurors. But before, you know how like Google has suggestions to fill mm -hmm. in? I just have to tell you this because it was so insane. The one of the suggestions <laughs> i typed out what happens if you run out of all like a l and one of the suggestions was what do you do if you run out of alfredo sauce <laughs> like you pick I a different sauce <laughs> just throw some marinara on that shit what are you talking about who cares <laughs> who needs to google that <laughs> i know it was just, it's just like, pasta what? And you can do any sauce on it. If what you wanted to know was how do you make Alfredo sauce, why didn't you just go? Yeah, if you wanted to know how to make more Alfredo sauce, you could have just Googled just how to make Alfredo sauce. How to make sauce. Alfredo sauce. Now, what happens? That's the, what do you do? If you, like, I don't know, you make more, obviously. You either make more, buy more, or use Christ. a different sauce. <laughs> Oh man, that's amazing. Okay. I, I would not have Googled that, but I'm not going to lie. I don't want anybody looking at my Google history because I'm sure I look like an absolute moron. But, and, and also just to come for Google for a second, they did not help me. 
No, they didn't say what happens. So frustrating. So I still don't know, like, if a mistrial gets called. That seems like a true flaw in the system. If that's what happens when you run out of jurors. It sure does. I hope there's another plan. Um, But that being said, uh, the older I get, the more flaws I see in the system. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to say it seems impossible. Oh, miscarriage of justice comes to mind more and more frequently these days. Okay, so let's start with this first article. It is titled, They Still Live in the Shadow of Theranos' Elizabeth Holmes. It's by a journalist named Aaron Griffith, and this was in the New York Times, published in August, late August. And this is about, um, the tag is, female entrepreneurs said they were constantly compared to Miss Holmes, the disgraced founder of Theranos, who faces trial soon now. Um, and my first quote is from this article, so I'll just read it to give you guys a sense of what stood out to me. The reason I felt like this article was important to understand kind of the context of, or or not the context, but how Theranos has changed our country and the way people see startups, uh, especially for women. That's the thing that sucks. Like women have a harder time proving legitimacy anyway. And now because of Elizabeth's actions, it makes it that much harder. So um, let me read this quote. Uh, from the article it says many said this is many of the female entrepreneurs said they already had to prove that they belonged in the male dominated field of startups but in recent years they faced the additional hurdle of fighting assumptions that they were like miss holmes they said something their male counterparts have generally not had to contend with so i think what bothers me most about this is To give a little bit more context in the article, this reporter, Erin Griffith, is talking to female entrepreneurs often who are working in biotech or the medical field of startups. So there are some similarities in that way. But there's this undercurrent to me that the assumption is that they are like Miss Holmes simply because they are women. And that blows. Mm -hmm. Like, that is already such a hurdle to get over in the business world that like you are less competent simply because you are a woman so to have the additional like well and now people are especially inclined to believe that you're manipulative or committing fraud or misrepresenting your product just because Mm -hmm. you're a woman doing it it's like god what a bummer yeah yeah i mean to say nothing of the fact that it's also more difficult for women to get into the stem field and hard sciences to begin with. Yeah. So if someone has made it to the point where they are patenting an idea for something that it had, there is a need for in the hard sciences, they have already had to overcome so many obstacles that it's frustrating to then find out that even after all of that, they're still not taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually pulled a quote about that. Uh, And so this part of the article says, For Heather Bowerman, 36, the fallout from Theranos has been longstanding. Ms. Bowerman founded Dot Lab, which developed a test to identify endometriosis, a chronic disorder, in 2016. At meetings with some investors, she said, she was often required to explain how Dot Lab would be different than Theranos. Dot Lab planned to publish its results in peer-reviewed journals, something Theranos never did, she said. Still, Ms. Bowerman decided to hold off 
uh, on raising venture capital funding, relying instead on government grants to get .lab off the ground. It's published results of studies validating its tests in peer-reviewed journals and recruited an advisory board of doctors and scientists, and it is conducting a clinical trial. The company raised $12 million in venture funding in 2019. Even so, the stigma from Ms. Holmes persists. Uh, Ms. Bowerman says, I still today see hesitation by traditional VCs to fund a diagnostics company, she said. It really narrows the list to a short list of potential investors. So I know that's kind of a large quote chunk, but I wanted to pull that as a specific example that in the hard sciences and in this specific situation where someone is also trying to start a and found a startup that is to help people and uh, identify a chronic disorder and something that would be a diagnostics company, uh, the only thing that people were interested in hearing about is how how do you relate to Theranos? And then knowing that that impacted their ability to get funding means that they were probably slower off the ground or slower to the start than they could have been if they were able to convince more VCs to invest in their company. And so, yeah, I I think this is a good example of the ripple effect of Theranos and just their lasting legacy. Yeah. And that's so, I think what's so frustrating is that it's like, on the one hand, I can imagine why an investor would be hesitant to invest in a a diagnostics startup that had on paper similarities to what Theranos claimed to be able to do. But what sucks is that in this article, they talk about the difference between preventative questions and promotional questions. So if a venture capitalist is asking you questions about your startup, there are essentially two kinds. One is preventative, like how will you prevent something bad from happening? One is promotional, like what do you imagine your product is able to do? And this article is talking about the way women are facing more preventative questions and men get more promotional questions. So men have more opportunities to talk about how they're dreaming big, whereas women have to like preemptively say how they will avoid disaster instead mm-hmm. of talking about all the great things that their product can do. And it it isn't fair that a woman with a diagnostic startup would have to answer more questions about how they're not like Theranos than a man just because Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Holmes was a woman and they are a woman. You know, it's like these companies are equally similar to Theranos. And yet the one that the woman is trying to start up is getting all of these questions because she's a woman. Even if you are still able to get your startup off the ground, like .lab, they're doing well now, but they were not able to grow at the same rate. And they also, you know, are going to take a long time to get to the point at which perhaps another male-led startup could get to. Okay, so let's go on to the good good stuff. We've we've done enough of that. All right, so let's move on to some updates on the trial. So that was a little bit about kind of Theranos' legacy in Silicon Valley, but we also want to talk a little bit about the ongoing trial and some of the updates there. So let's start with this article by NPR. It is called Concerned Citizen at Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes' Trial Mm -hmm. Turns Out to Be Family. This is by Bobby Allen, and it came out on September 14th. 
So, <laughs> Molly, do you this want to story, tell us what we learned in this oh, story? <laughs> this story is absolutely bananas. I have never been more delighted by anything probably in my life. Can I just read the first opening paragraph? Please, it's so please. funny to me. Okay, so it, the article starts out. During this, during the first day of jury selection at the federal fraud trial of Elizabeth Holmes, an incognito San Diego hotel magnate pulled a large Rice Krispie treat from his pocket, loudly. So loudly, in fact, that the judge's voice was barely audible in the back of the courtroom over the sound of his wiggling the brick-shaped snack out of tightly wrapped plastic. My name's Hanson, said the man, wearing a baseball cap and a Patagonia puffer jacket. Oh my god. It is... <laughs> I'll stop there, because we'll get into it. But I just, like, Chef's that guess. opening, the visual of that, I was, mm-hmm. like, immediately hooked. I was like, this is incredible. I don't even... I have no idea who this man is, but I love it so far. Love it already. The boldness. Okay, so to give you an idea of what's happening here, there is a man who claims that his name was Hanson at Elizabeth Holmes' trial, and he claimed he was just a concerned citizen. But come to find out that his name is actually Bill, and he is the father of Elizabeth's partner that she now has a child with. Uh, This is not Sonny Balwani. She broke up with him, or they broke up in 2018. And so this is a new partner, and she just gave birth, like, two months ago or something, just had her baby in 2021. So uh, just to set up who this man is. (laughs) Yes. It is so delicious that this person, by trying to snoop on the jury process, probably just made Elizabeth Holmes look worse. Like he he did such a strange thing. And he was one of the only people there who wasn't a journalist um, or a reporter. And so many of the journalists and reporters talked to him to try to like figure out like, well, what you doing here, pal? Like what's going on? Yeah, like, and who are you? yeah, they just like asked kind of like, how are you connected to Elizabeth Holmes? Like, do you know her? Or like, you know, what's up? And again, like he just would say that he was like a concerned citizen who wanted to make sure she got a fair trial, which is like, okay, whatever. But then when asked, um, if he knew Elizabeth Holmes in any way, his response, which this has to be one of my favorite things ever said, uh, when asked if he knew Elizabeth, he was cryptic. Do I know her? Does anyone know her? What does it even mean to know someone these days? The man told NPR in the courtroom. <laughs> I can't. I cannot. Can you imagine with a straight face saying that to someone? No. Who, what does I it can't. mean to know anyone these days on the Twitter book and the, the Instagram page? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? It's I can't amazing. imagine saying that to someone because that truly sounds like a I think you should leave sketch. Like, yes. what are you saying, sir? Like, this doesn't make any sense at all. And also, you know exactly what the reporter meant when they asked, do you yes. know Elizabeth Holmes? So, like, in your process of being evasive and duplicitous, it, you're also being just like awkward because no yes. one talks like that. And yes. it's so clear that you do in fact know her if you say something like that. <laughs> and the other, one of my other favorite parts of this thing is that at one point during the jury selection process, while he was there snooping around, he had a Starbucks cup and written on the Starbucks cup was the name Bill, which is his real name. 
And when one of the reporters asked, like, oh, I thought you said your name was Hansen, pointing out the cup, which astute observation, whoever that was, <laughs> incredible. And to have the balls to be like, seems like your name isn't Hansen, maybe, Bill. Yeah. He, he replied to the reporter and was like, people can have nicknames. I, yeah. oh, yeah. my God. People can have nicknames. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, you know, my best friend, the random barista at Starbucks, calls me by my nickname. <laughs> Like, what? <laughs> I think he was trying to suggest to the reporter that, like, Hansen was his nickname and that, like, oh, you know, yeah, like, well, people can introduce themselves with nicknames. Like, bullshit. Like, I would if, never go up to someone and be like, people call them, sure. No, it's so. Like, my nickname is Kate. My but, name is Catherine. <laughs> but I don't. That's but, um, not a lie. <laughs> yeah. I don't introduce myself as Susie. Uh, so I do want to point out that while he was at the courthouse for two full days of the jury selection, he was talking with the reporters and he maintained the story that he was a car enthusiast who was acting as a media watchdog, gross, and making sure that the news coverage matched what he saw um, reported. Yes. But there's this quote in here where he says, no journalist has ever told the real story about her. He said, everyone is just copy and pasting each other's stories without thinking, end quote. And it's like, imagine hearing the story of Elizabeth Holmes, hearing the story of Theranos, and then thinking, oh, yeah, the victim here is Elizabeth. Yes. Yes. Sir, what are you talking about? What? It's the thing about that that makes it so obvious that he knows her is exactly what you're saying. Like anyone who has just heard the news reported of them would not be concerned about Elizabeth Holmes. Right. The only way you would is if you knew her personally and felt like you knew a different side of her than was being reported. That's literally the only reason you would feel this way. And therefore it makes no sense that he was trying to be slick about this. Yeah. I, I just don't get like, do you think he actually was trying to be sly and thought he could pull this over? Or do you think he just was like being like having the audacity to show up there and like, didn't really care if people found out who he was. Like, I don't understand it. I think he really thought he was pulling it off. Yeah. I think he really did. And I think that's the whole thing. You know, when I heard this, I was like, oh, of course, this is the family that she has fallen into. You know, like, yes, it is not surprising that her, for all intents and purposes, her in-laws are exactly like her, which is to say a pathological liar. (laughs) Petty pathological liar. who thinks that they're always getting away with something and fake it till you make it. And it's like, you're not getting away with it. Like. Just to uh, drill down on the family of her partner for a second, I have been listening to the podcast, um, The Dropout, and Mm -hmm. they did all, they reported all about the same things that were reported in Bad Blood during when that was all coming out, and now they're reporting on the trial. So they have a whole section about her relationship with Billy, who is her now partner and the father of her child, and they kept it. Uh, like secret for a while because the the time that they started dating was after elizabeth had already been accused of a lot of things i don't know if the charges had been brought yet but like she was infamous already and so they kept it quiet for a while but then i don't know maybe it was on their one year anniversary of dating or something like that he posted an instagram post about her and like all these things like saying nice things about her and how she's so great and all this stuff 
And then he proceeded to post 37 more photos of her and how she's incredible. And he quoted poets and said stuff about Greek gods and like just 38 posts in total. Oh, it was for her birthday. It was for like, I think it was for her like 35th birthday. And he ended up posting like 38 photos. And I was the most mad about the fact that he didn't post 35 photos. Like, excuse me. That doesn't make any sense. If you are going to be insane, (laughs) at least be insane in a way that makes sense. At least be branded, I can't understand what's happening. I do want to point out that her first relationship, well, I don't know if it was her first relationship, but certainly her most serious adult relationship with Sunny, there was a t- nearly 20-year age gap. She They met when she was 18 and he was 37. Yes. And then this relationship with her now partner, Billy, he's much younger than her, which is fascinating. Yeah. So he, I guess not much younger, he's 28 and she's 37, so almost 10 okay, years yeah. younger. And I wonder, you know, just like that uh, infatuation with her is so fascinating to me because it's, you know, we kept hearing how charismatic she was. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it seems like this guy is not only like her partner and maybe loves her for like who she is and being around her, but also seems to be veering into kind of the number one fan club aspect of it which is so creepy and weird to me that like you are clearly like in love with her but also like kind of like annie wilkes ish about it yes (laughs) like i'm in love with her and i will murder anybody who thinks that she's not a great person right i feel uncomfortable well and i think that's the it's the thing we've seen with Elizabeth this whole time where there are people who are susceptible to this charisma that she has. And and who's to say that, like, you and I wouldn't have been if we'd been in the right place the right time with her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who yeah. knows? It seems like that would be insane, but you never know. But I think that one of the greatest, like, tells or red flags is when you cannot see any wrongdoing in a person. Like, no matter who you love you should be able to see both good and bad qualities about them. Yeah, they're a, a human they're being. They're a human being, yeah. And so to look at the situation with Theranos, and I mean, maybe they're not speaking to the media about this because it's like, why would you when your partner's on trial? You wouldn't be like, yeah, I can see that Fair she made enough. mistakes too, you know. But it's like, <laughs> if if they are the type of people who can't see that she clearly made mistakes, even if they don't believe that she is guilty of what she's accused of, Oh my God, we have so many problems here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. Oh like, my God. Again, looking at this situation and saying she, her only role here is the victim, seems just absolutely bananas. Yeah, and, bananas. and it's naive and yeah. just and not, not fair. Realistic. Yeah, yeah, just all of it, especially given the reporting that was done about how she treated her employees and just yes. the darkness oh, that yeah. came oh, up yeah. when she was dealing with employees that disagreed with her or you know questioned her authority or oh, questioned yeah. why the lab was a hot mess <laughs> well and if again like maybe you're not doing this because you're on trial right now but there just seems to be such a supreme <laughs> the dog was the dog was trying to steal something off my desk <laughs> I just saw this face come up behind the back and I was like, what the? Um, Sorry. (laughs) There seems to be such a supreme lack of um, 
remorse for the fact yeah. that people were hurt by this so badly yeah. hurt by this in the trial one of the stories that has been told was a woman who had had multiple miscarriages found out she was pregnant was recommended by her doctor to have multiple or regular blood tests to measure a specific hormone that should be doubling tripling as you proceed through the first early days of your pregnancy so she needed to get these regular blood tests to measure it and she had a couple through like quest diagnostics or like a different lab platform it wasn't quest but some national lab corp and then she had one with theranos and the ones with the national lab corp were showing good numbers and it was really positive and then she had one with theranos that showed her numbers like had just dropped like to the point that her doctor was like okay this sucks but it looks like you are having another miscarriage but she asked her to get another blood test through another company and at that point she saw that her numbers were much much higher they were where they should be so she didn't she wasn't having a miscarriage she went on to have like a healthy child but there was days in between where she had entered she describes a story like she came into the doctor's office had just gotten like a goodie bag for new moms and then left the doctor's office after having had a conversation with the doctor about like care plans for her miscarriage like that's devastating and she went through that for no reason like yeah it's so frustrating to me and i hope that i hope that there is enough evidence to convict because she deserves to be convicted for this it's horrible what she did yeah absolutely what if this woman after having found out that she was maybe miscarrying again had gone home and ended her life and and she wasn't even having a miscarriage you know like these are things that could push someone beyond a point of coming back and that Mm -hmm. the carelessness with which people's lives were treated in this whole thing is so frustrating Yeah. And, you know, on the off chance that no one would have caught the issues uh, until they rolled this out into Walgreens or something like that, or in the Safeways or any of the number of partnerships that they were exploring before they essentially dissolved, you know, that could have been incredibly disastrous. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that they should be held accountable for these actions and that they were being careless with the patients and that the priority for both her and Sunny throughout their time at Theranos was to continue being important startup founders. Like, I I don't think that it was anything more cared about the patients you know obviously we've heard a lot of times where elizabeth got up and you know gave her sob story and all of that but i don't believe that any of that was genuine to be honest i think it was all just about her they were both incredibly ambitious people and they wanted to be important and do important things so should we move on yeah i think we should and let's talk about the piece de resistance text messages yes let's move on to the text messages i think we should preface it by saying as as i mentioned at the top one of the defenses that elizabeth is going to it seems that she's going to claim is that sunny balwani was abusive to her in in their romantic relationship and in their business partnership and that that abuse kept her from being able to 
make responsible dishes decisions and essentially be in control for faculties. We don't know yet exactly what they're going to argue or even if they will take that mm-hmm. route, but they've set the groundwork in order to do so if they yeah. want. And so we'll we'll kind of see what comes of it, but because of that one of the things that they'll be scrutinizing throughout the trial is that relationship. And there's a lot of text messages that messages that they're looking at in order to determine how much Elizabeth actually knew, because that's kind of what this will all hinge on. Like clearly fraud was happening, but the question is, did Elizabeth know about it and willfully continue that Mm -hmm. fraud? And that's why they're looking at the text messages in order to understand, like, did you know and keep pressuring people to keep going forward? So throughout this, one of the most incredible text message exchanges that I've ever heard of and will think about until the day I die <laughs> came out. There is a, an article in the Wall Street Journal titled Elizabeth Holmes's Office Romance with Ramesh Balwani Now on Display in Court. This is by Heather Somerville, and um, it details a lot of the different exchanges that they had between the two of them and there is a main one that we wanted to talk about because it's so funny it it's absolutely unbelievable this is this that i'm reading is from a tweet that we we can post a photo of the tweet with our uh, post for this episode it says text messages between elizabeth holmes and sonny balwani today at the theranos trial holmes you are the breeze in desert for me my water and ocean meant to be only together tiger and Balwani's response? Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, you love to see it. <laughs> I, I can't think of anything more humiliating than this. Oh boy. I, I told I told my boyfriend about this exchange and he laughed and was like, Yeah, it sounds like a guy. And I was like, That's well, right, it I does. Read this the first okay. time and I laughed, obviously. And I sent it to everyone that I knew that is aware of the Theranos trial. And then after I was done laughing like a week later, uh, I started thinking about it and I was like, you know what? Sonny is a Gen X man and probably has completely different, a completely different tonal understanding for texting than millennials do, which I totally understand from texting people who are older and younger than me is that like each generation has a different tonal expectation and reads between the lines in a much different way. If you send just a letter K, all millennials that I've ever talked to perceive that as incredibly rude. Like K, fine, whatever, do whatever you want kind of thing. Same with like responding okay to some romantic Yes, a hundred percent. But I'm also looking at this and I'm like, maybe he was just saying like same, but like he was really busy and didn't <laughs> I know. No, like to me the thing that's the thing about it that's funny is not the fact that he like snubbed her because I don't think that's what ha- what's I happening. I don't think so either. It's the fact that like this these robots talk to each other yeah. this way. Because there's another exchange that we don't have a tweet for it, but I heard about it in a different podcast or maybe it was, yeah, it was definitely a podcast that she wrote or he wrote her something more vulnerable and intimate. That was like, I'm I'm unhappy with where we are right now. I'm sad about where we are. And he said a couple other things and her response was three question marks. Yeah. Uh, Incredible. (laughs) Immaculate. Well, I think it 
goes to show of like just how like disengaged they were because they were so busy all the time. And so it's like, yes. well, yeah, she probably has like 2,000 unread text messages and 50 million unread emails. And so that's yes. like the fact that you're getting a response at all is probably the best they could do, you know? Yes. Which makes it seem all that much worse because it's like they at diff- the thing that's strange about this relationship is that the way that I am like perceiving what I've read about it is that it seems like mm-hmm. they both legitimately liked each other, but at different times. And so you see this yeah. weird like seesawing thing where sometimes he's saying something to her where he feels close to her, but she clearly mm-hmm. isn't feeling the same and then vice versa. Yeah. And you have this like yeah. just strange dynamic going on. And in both cases, it's kind of like, I'm not sure you guys are as close as you think you are because do you ever even really talk to one another about anything other yeah. than Theranos? I don't know. Well, it also gives me this sense of not that I know what I'm talking about, but it feels like a trauma bond in some ways where they have been through so much together simply mm-hmm, by yeah. having known each other for as long as they did. Elizabeth was so young when she met this absolute yeah. adult. Like so many things went were formative mm-hmm. to both of them and they went through so much together that there is a manufactured sense of intimacy because of that yeah and i think that you can see that in they clearly are vulnerable and intimate with each mm-hmm. other in these different ways but then there's such disconnect because the other person it looks like at all right, it, it, right. yeah it's very interesting like, obviously you know she if her lawyers are making the argument that he was abusive. There is nothing mm-hmm. that, like, we know to be able to judge that. Like, we have no idea yes. how they actually interacted when they were alone. Nobody does because they were in a relationship and that's how relationships are is that people don't know them unless they're in them. Yes. And so, you know, that is like, I, I we really can't make a judgment on that either way. But I do think that what is becoming clear is that even if they had a very dysfunctional or even perhaps abusive relationship, the dynamics of their relationship aside, I don't think that that has anything to do with her choices that she made as a business person at Theranos. Because as you are reading through the article from the Wall Street Journal detailing their text message exchange, uh, many of the text messages that Sunny sends to Elizabeth are pointing out problems at Theranos. And sometimes mm-hmm. she says, agree, the lab is a mess, agree, or, you know, things like that. Yeah. But at other times, she seems to push back on that and say, like, you know, everything's fine, essentially, or not even answer them at all. So it becomes clear that Sunny, at least, knew there were issues at Theranos. And it's like unclear whether or not Elizabeth was taking that to heart and really thinking about the fact that those were serious issues or whether she was just kind of hearing that in one ear out the other and still choosing the choices that she made to be in charge and to continue her reign at Theranos. Yeah, well, it sounds like part of what the defense's argument is going to hinge on is that she didn't have decision-making power in their relationship. And that Sunny was controlling a lot of what she did. And that is much harder to make an argument about when you have the evidence that she was in charge. That that she was making decisions that were contradictory to what Sunny wanted or told her. 
So it, it becomes really difficult to, it, it, again, you have no idea what their relationship was like. Perhaps it was abusive. We have evidence that Sonny was super domineering and shitty to his employees. So there's absolutely great reason to believe yeah. he was shitty to her too. But that doesn't seem to have equaled that she wasn't able to make deci- decisions mm-hmm. on her own, which is what you would have to argue in order for her to not have responsibility right, in what happened. If, you know, as we are seeing the evidence come out that Sunny is saying one thing and she made a different decision. It's like, well, anytime that she's contradicting yes. him, then you are contradicting your own argument, which is that she only did what Sunny told her to do right. because it was a, an abusive dynamic. So I also I just think that that really falls flat, and I I don't know maybe they have more evidence, but from what has come out so far, I do not think that that has much weight to it. I agree, and you know you could make the argument too that like yes, well sometimes she did go against what he said, and then he punished her for it. Like that you could totally argue that, but that doesn't change the fact that she was making mm-hmm. autonomous choices. So even if she was punished for them later, and I'm sure that would have an effect on your ability to reason and and all of that, you still were making choices based on what you felt was what you wanted to do for your company. And those choices had an effect and you have to be responsible for that, even if you had another influence on you. I think it's totally possible that this is a complicated situation, but from the evidence that we've seen that has come out thus far, I don't think that there is enough evidence to completely ameliorate her from her bad her wrongdoing in the role that she was in within Theranos. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. I'm sure more will come out as this continues, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And at at this point I like feel kind of bad for Sonny because he's getting the short end of the stick where Elizabeth's lawyers get to drag him Mm -hmm. through the mud while he isn't there to defend himself. And then he has to go to trial after this. And I mean, good luck finding a jury who hasn't heard anything about anyone, you know, especially, yeah, especially with hers going first, it's kind of like, okay, well, anyone that had been following it. And when she is such an extremely sympathetic figure, a new mom, Mm -hmm. a beautiful blonde woman, like a white lady, (laughs) hard to go after that yeah totally like as a brown man to be like cool so i'm going to prison for 500 years i got it (laughs) oh god yeah i mean the stakes are um well they're sort of high right like they're high theoretically she could theoretically be put in jail for 20 years as could sunny but realistically it seems unlikely that either of them would have that harsh of a sentence uh, just knowing the way that our justice system works for white collar crimes. But that being said, I mean, the, the stakes are theoretically high. So if I were Sunny, I would also be feeling quite anxious. And yeah, it would be a lot to deal with. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, my feeling bad for them aside, they do deserve to be punished for doing what they did. I think whether they can prove it in the courts through that like very complicated system of justice quote-unquote uh they both knew that theranos was not ready to be in walgreens and used on patients and they were still making the choices to do that knowing what those consequences were because they were getting complaints all Mm -hmm. the time and continuing to go forward so that deserves to be punished Mm -hmm. that was wrong and we can't you know, if we let those things go unpunished in our society, then 
our capitalist overlords just have all that much more power to ruin our lives. So Yeah, I mean, you it's know. one of those things where it's like, again, as we've stated, okay, yes, you didn't directly cause anyone's death, but had this continued to go on without any checks or balances, you definitely would have. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems a definite yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. It's not a possibility Absolutely. that you would have caused some death or some bodily harm. You definitely would have. Uh, you're dealing with people's lives and medical conditions that are really quick to ruin, you know, someone's ability to do something. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, it, it they need to face the consequences of their actions. Uh, and just because it did not end up being the absolute worst case scenario does not mean that they should get off scot-free. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So that's that. Yeah. So I think that that is kind of our update on the Theranos trial. Maybe we'll have to do yet another update in the springtime when Sunny goes to trial. Uh, I'm sure there will be quite a bit more to talk about. Yeah. So that is what we've got. And we just wanted to remind everyone that we are going on hiatus for a little while after this episode. Uh, like we said, we were having some career changes. And if you can't tell from this chaos episode, we're a little <laughs> bit overwhelmed. Um, and we just need some time to get um, through the next few months. And then we'll start up again in early 2022, which is crazy that that's almost about Mid-best to happen. What? Two, which is also Yay! nuts. And yes. yes. We have fun things planned. Um and we can't wait to share it all with you. And maybe, like Kate said, we'll have another Theranos up- update in the spring as some more things come out in the trials. I'm sure that the story will be never ending. Oh, we'll be talking about the story. I can't wait for more text messages. <laughs> Again, the concerned citizen, I will never be over it. And the okay, I will never be I mean, over it. We're all concerned citizens right now. Who are you oh talking god. to? Oh my god. The <laughs> only the only thing that could have made that text exchange better is if Sunny had responded with okay dot dot dot. <laughs> all I of mean, the ellipses, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be just three dots. It'd be like dot 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 dot. God, I love a Gen X. Okay. Join us in a few months for more of our bullshit. Bullshit.